Dueling Genre Productions presents... Oh my god, do you see that? When a freak accident strikes McKinney City, ordinary citizens are given amazing abilities. I can move things with my mind. Oh my god, I'm flying, I can fly, I can teleport, and I can fly! Super senses! What, like Daredevil? We are just playing fast and loose with this whole science thing today, aren't we? Now, there are villains. Billy, when you have an arch nemesis, do you just kill them immediately? No. You tie the ropes just loose enough so that they can keep escaping. That way, when you finally do win the day, you can sleep well knowing that you rose to the challenge. Your brain works differently than other people's, doesn't it? And heroes. Leah Markowitz, Gwendolyn Allen, Jeffrey Gibson, Mindy Gibson, Simon Holt, Splendid, you're all here. I'm going to make you all into superheroes. Screw it. Let's go save the day. The Powerful. After I drain everyone here, McKinney City will be mine. I'm going to show this whole city what real passion truly is. And the underdogs. You're all imagining me as a singing, dancing chipmunk right now, aren't you? The people in that store need help, and we can help them in a way no one else can. We have great power, which means they're our responsibility. I mean, Jesus, what's the point of having five freaking Spider-Man movies if we can't even learn to do that? Geek by Night, an original podcast series about five friends running a comic book store with superpowers. You're really going to keep running a comic book shop while trying to be superheroes? It might not always be easy, but I think the world could use a few more underdogs. Available at DuelingGenre.com and podcast apps everywhere. Dueling Genre Hello and welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss every minute of Back to the Future Part 3, one timeline-altering minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news, and I don't know (laughs) how many times we've used that one, but it still applies in this minute. I don't know if we have or not. I'm Scott Corelli. Um, Joining us... Uh, I'm sure our listeners can tell us. Joining yeah. us again today, uh, Scott Tofty, welcome back. Hi, everybody. D- happy to have you back. It, it it just felt so basic that I was like, there's right. no way we haven't used you know, that we one call before. That a, we call that a greatest hit, Nick. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, so you today- know, we're, we're, reaching, we're reaching the end. We could do a greatest hits. It's fine. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, uh, today we are going back to minute yeah. number 47, which begins with... Uh, Marty goading Doc about uh, having the hots for Clara and ends with Marty in his PJs talking into a walkie talkie. Mm-hmm. Then it's adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tofty brought up uh, the music uh, in yesterday's episode that's in, yeah. that's in this, this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's talk about that because this is, I mean, we we haven't been able to really talk about Alan Silvestri's score much. I mean, I think we mentioned it with like the the creepy harmonica thing when uh, oh, yeah. Marty was like stumbling through town. Mm-hmm. But I think that's about it. Um, did we mention the uh, the theme, the Back to the Future three? Oh, theme? oh, we've talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, 
right, right so we have talked about that as well um i think we've only gotten hints have we only have, have we gotten anything yet of uh doc and clara's theme their love theme I'm sure there was some little motifs in the scene where they were first meeting and, and flirting with each other, you know, but I can't yeah, there's, be sure. There's a I little can't... little light orchestration in there. And even in this minute, there's sort of this uh, melodious clarinet kind of uh, playing through the background while Doc and Marty are sort of heading back to their uh, workshop right up until the moment he realizes his terrible mistake. Um I don't know if it's echoing that. So the Claire and Doc theme is the da da da. Is that the da da yeah. da? I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily doing that, but it is kind of implying the gentleness mm-hmm. of of the two of them there. Mm-hmm. I just really like them just sort of moseying along. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. Like just like just like two old chums. Can we right. give can we give Alan Silvestri a hell of a lot of credit for not doing the uh, the old uh, temple block clomp clomp horse hoof sound in his <laughs> score? Because oh, I mean that temptation had to have been fierce. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I know exactly that thing where in westerns you see somebody riding on a horse and you hear yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. So thank you, Oops. Mr. Silvestri, for not doing that. <laughs> On the plane. Uh, yeah, this scene. This scene is actually. Uh, this scene is actually really reminiscent of the scene in Hill Valley High when Marty is talking to George about Lorraine. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. Marty does a. Marty's Marty's like a little Sebastian in Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. He's a good wingman. He is a good wingman. He's just always <laughs> like, you gotta tell her how you really feel, man. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna say that now, but I have a, a note about that in minute forty nine about how quote good of a wingman Marty is. Uh, well, we'll get to that well later. the the problem is he is he is uh, uh, he's of two worlds because because he's a good wingman. It's just that. Doc told him specifically, don't let me fall in love with this yeah, girl. Don't, because... don't, don't wing me on this one, please. <gasps> yeah, right. dude, he's like and Harry so... Potter forcing that, that water into Dumbledore's throat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He doesn't want to mess this up. He he likes that. He, he likes the idea that his friend is like in love because he's never seen it before. But he also knows that he specifically told him not to let it happen. Yeah. And he probably assumes, well... This is, I mean, that could really screw things up. Yeah. However, this actually gets to a larger discussion uh, about Clara, because this is the minute where they they finally realize that Clara is the woman, the school teacher who uh, fell into the ravine and had it named after her because of Doc's line, uh, Miss Miss Clayton, Miss Clayton would have ended up in Clayton, Clayton ravine. ravine. And then he's just like, oh, God. <gasps> what, have yeah. what have I done? I just, oh, no. I don't. That's so weird how they just just now got it. Yeah. So there's. So here's what I love about Doc and Clara. Yes. Because um, not only do they fit uh like sort of emotionally and as two people mm-hmm. but in the grand scheme of time and space they fit together because he's not supposed to be in 1885 and is supposed to be dead like in timeline <laughs> a doc dies at the mall he's shot to death and he's dead yeah 
Clara yeah. is supposed to go off of the, the cliff and end up in the ravine and have the ravine named after her. So she's not supposed to be alive either. So the idea that Doc, someone who's not supposed to be alive, someone outside of time, falls in love with a girl who he saves from dying. So now she's not supposed to be alive. She's living outside of time. Just like that whole concept of them ending up together is like painfully perfect. They're like two spare people. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's a pretty unsettling moment where Marty's like, yeah, we always used to joke about teachers who wanted to see thrown off the ravine to their deaths. Well, Nick, like father, like son. Yeah. Um, like what the hell? <laughs> Which brings us back to Strickland Ravine. Right. <laughs> you called me a slacker for the last time. <laughs> Why is Mar why is Marty talking like George? That was George. That was supposed to be George. Oh, George throws Strickland into the ravine. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, younger no, Strickland. Okay. That that's the visual I had in my head. Yeah, 1955 oh, George I, throws him out after he murders his parents, right? Yeah. I had a vision of of Marty Norman Bates style dressing like his father and acting like his father and <laughs> just, killing Strickland. Just starts like his posture gets worse and worse. <laughs> right. My name uh, is Frankenstein. Yeah, no, I just, I, I, it's insane that mm -hmm. line because it's just like, yeah, no, me and the, me and the, the, you know, you know, the, the fellas, school, the old gang. We, yeah, we all, we all joke about uh, murdering teachers by throwing them off the ravine, like that woman we just met. <laughs> yeah, we always used to joke. Oh man, I hope Mrs. O'Shaughnessy falls into that ravine today. I don't want to take the spelling test. <laughs> but it's pretty kooky now that we now that we know the woman who actually actually fell to her death, huh? Hot dog, and that that's weird. <laughs> Your Marty is becoming more and more like Morty. It, it did get kind of Morty there at the end. <laughs> um, so Doc, Doc I, is seriously startled by. It. I mean, he he is very bothered by this. Okay, so my favorite line. I think it's going to end up being my favorite line delivery of Doc's the whole movie. Oh wow! Is when when Marty says, uh, before he says, everybody knows that story um, and, to, and and talks about his fantasies about murdering teachers. Yeah. Uh, he says, yeah, they say, first of all, let's break this down. They say, who's they? The kids. It's like I a guess. ghost story. Yeah. The, the, town <laughs> the kids in town. The town elders say that. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's like one of those things where you're like around a campfire and you're like telling yeah. ghost stories. Like, they say he it's, still haunts these woods today. Yeah. This is when, this is, it's moments like these when I think Hill Valley is at its most parallel to Stars Hollow. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, um, yeah. But then he says, uh, they say a hundred years ago, a teacher uh, fell to her death and that's why it's called Clayton Ravine. I was like, do, by they, do you mean history? <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> so here's, here's my question too. Like the school kids never had her for a teacher. They never got to know her. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's really amazing that this got populated for a hundred years. Like that she just arrived in yeah. town. In fact, like, like she's not even, she, she hadn't, hadn't even moved into her house yet. <laughs> And because of that, now, the beloved so, school teacher, Clara Clayton, had the ravine here's, named after her. Here's the question. Do we know for a fact that that's the point she went into the ravine? Do we not know? Like, it, it's entirely possible 
that like had Doc not gone back in time, the horses might not have gotten spooked because the snake might have chose a different path. She might have fallen into the ravine much, much later in her original timeline. The only way that works in my mind, because because nothing changed with him not picking her up. Right. Um, Like between if he wasn't there ever and then him not picking her up, nothing changes in those two timelines. The only way that it changes is if the only reason no one picked her up was because Doc agreed to do it. And in previous timelines, someone else agreed to do it and did it. And then she ended up in the ravine later on. Well, that's what I mean. Did like, make it home. So yeah. Doc goes back in time, butterfly effect, like the snake that scares the horses maybe would have gone somewhere else. Like had it not been for Doc coming into Hill Valley at the time. I so, feel like that's the, I mean, you could call butterfly effect, it? but I do feel like that's a bit of a stretch, but, but I see your, your larger point. Yes. We do not know. Like How maybe she was, she was teacher of the year. Maybe she didn't die until she was like, right. well, no, because they did say a hundred years ago. All right. You're, you're a teacher. This must freak you out, right? Oh, God. Have- God, no, 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 no. I've wanted to <laughs> jump into a ravine many times. <laughs> I teach middle school, man. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Would you be, uh, in, would no. you be into like being named after the thing that you that fell down me? forever? Yeah. That killed you. Uh, I mean, if it was something cool, a ravine is pretty awesome. If it was like the, you know, Scott Tofty crack in the sidewalk, I'd be a little less thrilled about <laughs> sure. it. The Scott Tofty, 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 Scott Tofty, Tofty hard ravine door is, frame. Tofty ravine is pretty amazing. That would be great. great. Yeah, that's pretty great. Tofty chasm. Uh, so then, so then, <laughs> somebody says, 100 years ago, a teacher fell into the ravine and that's why they named it after her. And then Doc says, 100 years ago. That's this year. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's pretty magnificent. <laughs> it's amazing. That's this year. 1885. Which once again proves that Doc Brown is the greatest expositionary tool ever put on film. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He loves it. We didn't even, you know what we forgot to mention last minute is Doc's toodaloo. Toodaloo. Oh, right. Yeah, that was pretty, that which was pretty is, slick. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful. Um, yeah, so Doc is just like the greatest thing ever. He's on fire in this one. Yeah, you know, in Cars 2, when they made Mater the main character, it was a disaster, but this worked out pretty well. Oh, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Uh, you guys have anything else? Also, as as I just have to point out, one of my favorite parts is while Doc is getting so wide eyed and realizing all the terribleness that is been you know created in his name now marty's eyebrows he's got this look in his eye he's so squinty and his eyebrows have like this perfect little arch it looks so very cartooned in mm-hmm. I, I just I, it's always struck me like the way that he holds his face and the way he's reacting to doc having his little freak out yeah uh, i was noticing how pronounced doc's brow is under that hat it almost looks like a unibrow yeah He's got like a he's got kind of a caveman thing going on. You know, he also kind of looks like an old like like a like an old graying wily coyote. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I can see that. For sure. Like a mellow coyote. Instead of Do we know coyote. if there were any reshoots on this movie? Like did they go no. back? Cuz there are some parts where you look at 
doc you know christopher lloyd and it's just like i like that shot in particular stands out to me in this movie as him looking just very different and i don't know why i mean it could be it could be any number of things uh i mean reshoots were not a normal occurrence uh back then um it was i i would i would assume it was something more along the lines of uh the order of production yeah um, whereas like this was either like early or late in the production. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what that's where the uh, the weirdness comes from. Yep. So, um, yeah. What day is Doc shot on again? Remind me. In Monday. The, he shot on Monday the 7th. Yes, I think that's right. OK, so I just real quick for fun the at, at 58 seconds in this minute, we see the calendar that says Saturday, September 5th. And I just did a quick search. Accurate, definitely accurate. So, (laughs) just for everyone who's wondering, nice. Um, yeah, and then we just get a little. uh, Well, we get Doc wishing he'd never invented the time machine, uh, which every time he says that, it makes me nothing but disaster. Nothing but disaster. Yeah. Um, And then, uh, and then we we cut to Marty trying out their uh, their two way radio, which is cool. So. Anyway, that's all I got for this minute. Yeah, well, uh, well, all three of us happen to be uh, currently working on the amazing audio drama series Geek by Night, uh, the crown jewel of the dueling genre empire. Uh, Scott Tofty not only provides the voice of uh, one of our favorite characters, Max Carmichael, (laughs) he also produces all of our original music, which I've heard a rumor is now available for download, Scott. Oh my goodness, it is available for purchase and download for the uh, Patreon subscribers. They get it for free in their little feed, and then you can also head to uh, my website and you can purchase it for $5, and it's over like an hour of music composed by me. I had so Mm -hmm. much fun uh, uh, listening to the tracks independently for the first time. I really got to appreciate um, all the work that uh, Scott puts in. And it's an important part of uh, Geek by Night. And you can download uh, Geek by Night and Scott's music at DylanGenre.com or wherever you're already getting your podcasts. And we will see you on Wednesday. Bye. Bye.